Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours I can't even count them all is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List, the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm talking to Chris Bailey of A Year of Productivity and A Life of Productivity. You're going to be amazed by all the different productivity experiments that he has run on himself. But before we get into that, I want to let you know that this episode of Beyond the To-Do List is supported by MailChimp. You can check out MailChimp at beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. Whether or not you agree with the whole, your email list is the silver bullet, you must have it thing that a lot of people have been pushing out there for a while, it's still beneficial to have an email list. It may not be a silver bullet, but it is super important. MailChimp is what I use for my mailing list. And MailChimp has new features that make it easy to provide timely, relevant information to your customers or prospects or just fans of your podcast, for that matter, or whatever it is, your blog. You can instantly send welcome emails, provide recommendations, special offers, and more. You can now do segmentation, personalization, and automation all in one. You can learn more at beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. Thank you again to MailChimp for supporting Beyond the To-Do List. Again, make sure you go check them out at beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. This week, I get to talk to Chris Bailey of A Year of Productivity and A Life of Productivity. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you, buddy? Thanks for having me. So I, I was fascinated, and I kind of wished that... You, you know an idea is good when you're like, man, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> and so when I heard that you did this year of productivity experiments, I thought, man, I wish I could do that. But uh, you were at the right place at the right time and decided to do it. So walk us through what birthed the idea to do that. And then yeah, we'll talk dude, about some of these of, experiments because yeah. there's a lot to learn here. Well, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of made the decision to do this project in between – uh, going to university and going off into the real world. Um, so I graduated last May with a business degree and, you know, I'd worked really hard throughout university. So then I looked at how much money I had in my bank account and I realized, you know, I'd been working part time uh, throughout university. I'd worked a couple paid co-op internships and I realized, you know, I, I have enough money. I had 12 grand saved up by the time I graduated. A lot of that was loans, to be honest, but I still had enough money in the bank to follow my passion for a year. And so I took a year to do this project named A Year of Productivity, kind of saw it as a one-year research project into the topic. So I read as many books and academic journal articles on productivity as I could. I interviewed some of the, the coolest people that I've respected for years in this space. And yeah, like you mentioned, I ran these productivity experiments on myself where I used myself as a guinea pig to explore this idea of becoming as productive as possible. So I did things like I meditated for 35 hours over the course of a week because meditation helps you focus, of course. Um, I used my smartphone for only an hour a day for three months. I worked 90-hour weeks for a month, alternating between 90, then 20, then 90, then 20. 
uh, for the four different weeks. I woke up at 5.30 every morning. I still do. And so I, I did, you know, and the list goes on and on, as people can see on the website. So I did all these experiments to just try to dive as deep into this topic as I could and share everything I learned on the website. Was productivity a passion or an interest beforehand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've probably been interested in the topic for a decade. So I, I didn't just make a random decision and decide, you know, I, you know, productivity sounds interesting. Right. <laughs> I'm going to do that for a year. Blah, 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 blah. What, what were you um, studying at university? <laughs> I studied business. Okay. So this, this in, ties with right a management. Yeah, yeah, with a management degree. So it's it all kind of cross-pollinates with, with each other. So, you know, I've been reading management books for a while, and some of them are, are kind of kind of douchey some of these management books but then i got into the kind of productivity plus management books which i found really fascinating and that kind of led me to some of the productivity books out there like like david allen's getting things done i, I think you interviewed david for one yeah. of the podcasts um you know s- books like that that just kind of hooked me into this world i don't know what it is about about this uh this topic about productivity that just fascinates me so much but it, yeah I'm, i've been interested in it for about a decade it's hard for me to put my finger on it as well. I mean, people are just like, yeah, so is productivity a passion for you? And I'm like, well, I mean, I like to do what I like to do. And if I don't self-manage myself, which is kind of what I say productivity is, then how will I ever get to do what I want? I mean, it sounds selfish too, but still. It's weird because it's kind of a secular topic in a way where you're researching the topic or experimenting with the topic through which is the process through which you get things done. So it, it it's kind of secular mm-hmm. in that way, but you know I find that fascinating too. So you went through a full year. You did all these different things. I'd love to maybe touch base on some of these and say, all right. So how'd you decide like what your rules were and yeah. and then what were the outcomes? That kind of a thing. Is that sure. cool? We'll walk through yeah. some of these that uh that are they're interesting to me. I mean, the first one because I know that a lot of people think, oh, technology equals productivity. <laughs> And yeah. I know you only used your smartphone for an hour a day for three months. Why'd you pick that one? Why only an hour and not like just cold turkey completely don't use it at all? And what did you find you were aware of after as you were doing it and after you did it? That was a fun one. One of the main things I realized is that, you know, using your smartphone, you know, some people spend a lot of time on their smartphone. I don't necessarily spend a lot of time on my smartphone, but I really invest a lot of attention into my smartphone. And so, you know, when it whenever it beeps or buzzes, you know, that's that's a point at which you get derailed from whatever you have to do during the day. And I, I see productivity, the the kind of ten thousand foot view of how I see productivity is I see it as the confluence of three things. And so productivity is how you manage your time, plus how you manage your energy, plus how you manage your attention. And where your time, your energy, and your attention, your focus meet in the middle, that's how productive you are over the course of the day. And so where your smartphone fits into that kind of three-circle three Venn diagram kind of picture is in the attention um, circle. You know, Usually using your smartphone doesn't take up a lot of your time, but it takes up a ton of your attention. If you look around at a restaurant, you'll see people have their phone out out under the table and and they're really not bringing all of themselves to whatever they happen to be doing in the moment. And that's something I found really, really fascinating during this experiment is when I shut my phone off and I forced myself to limit myself for how I use the smartphone, I worked on better activities on the smartphone. Um, you know, most of the activities that you do on your smartphone are, are low leverage, they're low return, and they're just kind of distracting. You know, one of the loops that I had before I started this experiment was I woke up every morning. But when I woke up, you know, I would spend a good 20 or 30 minutes in bed going through TweetBot, going through uh, Instagram, going through email, going through MailTrim, going through Google Analytics, you know, bouncing around between app, between app, between app, and not really accomplishing anything. You know, I, I kind of see productivity as, you know, the process you, through which you get things done. But productivity is very much not about how much you produce at the end of the day. It's about how much you actually accomplish. And you really don't accomplish much when you use your smartphone. And so that's kind of the main, those are kind of the main lessons I walked away with. I wrote up the lessons from that experiment in much more depth and much <laughs> and nice. much more eloquently on the yeah. website. Well, I'm gonna, well, I'll link to that in the in the show notes for this episode, so that people <laughs> cool, can man. take a deeper dive on that. I mean, people don't listen to podcasts to hear blog 
blogs read out loud. So I, I could, I could, if you <laughs> no, 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 no. That's um, kind of actually that's one of the challenges I have talking about these experiments because you know I used my smartphone for only an hour a day for three months, but I did that nine months ago, and so trying to recall these mm-hmm. different um, these different kind of lessons that I learned, it's it's quite difficult to do because especially with something like your smartphone, it kind of hooks into your life in ways that are invisible that you don't necessarily realize at first. You know, one of the things that the guy I interviewed, his name is Charles Duhigg. One of the things he talks about is how about half of your life is habits. You do them automatically in response to different cues in your environment. And that's very much the case with your smartphone. You don't really realize that it's there until you, until it's gone. It's kind of like electricity in that way. So it's kind of difficult in a way to recall some of these experiments, but that's what makes it exciting too, I guess. Yeah. So you're you're flipping through Instagram and Twitter and and uh, you know you're you're looking at things you're you're maybe becoming aware of the news you're yeah. not to discount uh, social interaction and, and relationships for what they're worth but it's not like you accomplished anything per se while you yeah. were doing that like m- most of the time when I was flipping through all those apps for thirty minutes going through these apps that kind of imitate social interactions my girlfriend was laying right next to me. <laughs> And so, you know, there's different varying levels of social interaction. The ones on your smartphone are really, really diluted, especially in comparison to the ones that are right in front of you. One of the most powerful habits out there is when you have coffee with somebody or when you have lunch with somebody, put your (laughs) phone on airplane mode when you're with that person because you're going to bring more of yourself to that interaction. And people can tell. People have this kind of sixth sense of when when you're bringing all of yourself to a conversation or to a meeting or to anything. And so by shutting your phone off, you know, you can actually accomplish more and bring more of yourself. Like that's the attention part of productivity. When you bring more of yourself to what you're doing, you can dive into it deeper and do it a lot better. Totally. The other thing that you said that that struck kind of an interesting thought in my mind was when you're doing those things, it's become such a knowledge-based workforce these days. The way that Even the word productivity, it it insinuates producing something, producing work. But what's funny is, is half the time, and I know you don't really prescribe to using a to-do list per se, but we're checking things off a list. And so we're almost going the opposite direction where, well, I did that and now it's deleted. It's, you know, in terms of email or it's gone or I've taken care of that. It's, It's the absence of producing something. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like it, you can you can produce things all day long. You can sharpen pencils all day long. But if you're supposed to be writing reports, you're really not actually accomplishing anything. And that's kind of the distinction that I like to make. It doesn't matter how much you produce. The only thing that matters at the end of each day is what's different in the world because you lived a day of your life. And that's what productivity is. Productivity is what you accomplish. Productivity is what you, and I don't mean to sound inspirational, but this is just something I found. You know, productivity is very much about how much you accomplish. You can produce things all day long. You can produce email all day long. You can sit there and refresh Gmail or Apple Mail or pull to refresh whatever all day long. But if you're not actually changing anything or accomplishing anything, you're not that productive. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond this episode is brought to you by shopify Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, so in other words, you're saying as long we're productive if we did what we said or or did what we set out to do or needed to do or wanted to do. Yeah, I I think, yeah, exactly. I think productivity is all about intention. And so if you intend to be lazy for the day and then you be perfectly lazy, I think you are perfectly productive. But if you intended to, you know, write a report over the course of the day and you ended up checking your email all day long and you ended up uh, refreshing TweetBot all day long, you weren't productive because you didn't accomplish what you set out to. You know, intention behind your actions is like wood behind an arrow. It's absolutely essential and it's what kind of moves you forward. It's what connects your actions with your purpose for why you're doing what you're doing. And it's absolutely essential in becoming more productive. And that that's why smartphones can drain your productivity another way too. It kind of hooks into you and it hijacks your attention from away from what you want to be doing and what you intend to be doing. And it says, no, look at this tweet instead, or no, look at this email newsletter that you signed up for instead of, of what you want to actually be doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, totally, totally. Okay. And that's and so then in terms of you using your smartphone for an hour a day for 3 months even though that was 9 months ago, <laughs> describe to me what was your practice of using your phone before, during and after that period of time. Yeah, before I I didn't really think about it that much to be honest, you know, as as sad as that is to admit it, it was just kind of a part of my life that was automatic that I didn't really think about using. It was invisible. The best design, they say, is invisible. <laughs> my smartphone was definitely invisible to me. But during it, it kind of shook everything up. You know, I'm lucky that I'm really tech savvy. I'm a pretty geeky kind of guy. And so I was able to rejigger my computer to fit a lot of the jobs that I hired my smartphone to do for me. And so, you know, I, I used to, well, there's no like Snapchat desktop client, which is probably probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But like the Instapaper web app, you know, I, I would use that on the computer instead of using that on the phone or listening to podcasts. I would listen to those on the computer or you know on my iPad instead of on the phone. And so I, I would kind of replace, you know, I, was, I limited my iPad use at the same time because you know, I didn't want really want to feel like I was cheating. Right. But, you know, I kind of moved the important jobs that I hired my smartphone to do for me over to my computer. And I found that the ones that were left that only my smartphone could do weren't really all that important, which was another interesting finding. And so after, after that experiment, I see my smartphone a lot differently. I, I don't really see it as one device. I see it as kind of a tool. And of course, tools are neutral, right? Mm-hmm. They, they aren't positive. They aren't negative. You know, you, could build, you can build a house with a hammer. You can tear a house down with a hammer. And the hammer is a tool. It's neutral. And same with your cell phone, I think. But what it all comes back down to, in my opinion, is the jobs that you hire your smartphone to do for you. And so if you kind of base how you use your devices around those jobs, you know, for example, I hire my smartphone to be a camera for me. I hire it to be a music player for me. I I hire it to be a podcast player for me. I hire it to keep up with email and you know, Twitter and, and all these different places. I hire it to look at RSS feeds. And so you hire the devices that you have for a ton of different jobs. So naturally, you know, the more jobs you hire a gadget for you to do, the more 
your life will be disrupted after it was gone, which was what I found. But afterwards, when I kind of re-pieced my life back together, I really stepped back and I thought, okay, what am I hiring this to do for me? And I really thought hard about that and about what which of those jobs were important and which ones weren't and deleted a bunch of apps because of that. Yeah. It's interesting. And yeah. now I now I like leave my smartphone in in the other room and I put it on airplane mode from eight PM to eight AM, which gives me this kind of bubble of thought where nobody can disrupt me where I'm usually insanely creative throughout that time and, and do all my pl- my planning. So I kind of take this step back now from my smartphone and just see it totally differently. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, even the way that you were changing and saying, well, I'm developing a bad habit by reaching for the phone all the time to go do something that I could be doing elsewhere. And if I train myself to do those things, if they're important, at a place where I can sit down location-wise, even if a laptop is or iPads are mobile, you know, you can pick them up and take them anywhere. But if it's, you know, that workspace, then, okay, I'm sitting and I'm working and then I'm up and gone and I'm not working. And to be able to do that mental shift of the barrier between, well, because we can work anywhere doesn't mean we should or have to because of the phone on our – I mean, you've read tons of articles where it's like, are we really being more productive if we have a phone on us at all times and answer work email at all times? And my answer is no. But Well, whenever you come up with an idea, you ask people where they come up with their most brilliant idea. Ideas. People say like, you know, on, in the bathroom or taking a shower or before I fall to sleep or, you know, all, all these different ideas. And they usually don't say they were on their smartphone when they came up with a brilliant idea <laughs> because, you know, you need boredom in your, in your life. You need yes. space between the tasks in your life to, to be creative and to bring more of yourself to your work. Like, you know, if you look at traffic on a highway, for an example, what allows that traffic to flow isn't how fast the cars are going. It's the amount of space between the cars that allows the cars to flow. And the same is true with the tasks in your life, especially in terms of how creative and how productive you are. If you're constantly going like, okay, I have to go to the bathroom now, so I'm going to bring my phone and then I'm going to check Twitter. Then I'm going to you know, respond to a couple emails. Then I'm going to go back to my computer. Then I'm going to go talk to someone. If you're never bored, when you're bored, you organize your life. You connect dots. You step back from your problems. And you ultimately become more productive and studies show creative. And so when you just spend all of your time, throw it into this black hole that's your smartphone or your iPad or your laptop, you know, going to CNN.com all the time, which is actually getting worse and worse, by the way. Um, It just sucks up all this boredom. And people have this natural aversion to boredom. But it's that aversion that will make you productive because that's what allows your mind to jump between ideas because it's looking for stimulation in something that isn't your phone. That's that's so true. So then – your mind looking for stimulation. Let's move on to the meditating because that's, you know, kind of yeah. connected here. So let's see. What's 35 hours over seven days? Like five days, five hours? Uh, five, yeah, I think so. So was it literally five <laughs> hours? Was it five hours at a time or was it broken up throughout the day? I broke it up throughout the day. Yeah. So, you know, through these experiments, I, I didn't just meditate for 35 hours over the course of a week. I I did that. But, you know, throughout all these experiments, like especially throughout experiments like drinking only water for a month or experiments like working 90-hour weeks or, you know, being a total slob for a week, I I try to get as much work done during these experiments as I possibly can because that's kind of where I reflect on these experiments and think about, okay, how did my work change? And and that's subjective, of course, because I, I see productivity through my lens when I do these experiments, even though I back that up with research. As as much as I can. Sorry, I ramble. I, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, so when when I did the uh, thirty five hours of meditation, I tried to get as much work done as I possibly could over the course of that week. And yeah, I mixed it up throughout the day. I, I did things like I'm looking at the chart in front of me right now. Forty one percent of the meditation time was sitting meditation. Twenty four percent of the time was walking meditation, and the rest was you know meditating and being mindful while doing chores. You know, really slowing down and being mindful while doing chores and eating. Eating is a actually b- mindful eating is is an incredible practice that that I did then too. Oh, see, that now yeah, that makes sense. I I love that. Like one of the things that I really like doing myself personally is doing dishes. Now I'll often put headphones on and listen to a podcast, but there's other times where it's like, no, just the act of doing the physical activity and letting your mind well wander or 
just go wherever it will go. Yeah. Doing a task, you know? And you come up with some genius ideas when you let your mind wander. When you just say to your mind, okay, you know, just go wherever you want. (laughs) You'll come up with some pretty crazy things. And when you bring kind of that meditative aspect to it, you know, whenever I talk about meditation, a lot of people kind of shut off. Um, They kind of think, oh, meditation is BS, you know, whatever. I I, want to get actual work done instead. But when you meditate, you work out your attention muscle and you train your brain to be able to dedicate more attention to whatever you want to be doing in the moment. And so, you know, back to the generic example of writing a report for Acme Incorporated or wherever you work, um, you know, if you can bring 40% of your attention to that report, it might take you four hours to write. But if you can bring 80 or 90% of your attention, it might take you half an hour to write. If you can dedicate more of yourself to whatever you happen to be doing in the moment, and so, yeah, sure, sure, you spend some time meditating, but you work out that attention muscle. And, you know, the, the whole purpose of meditation is, let's say, you focus on your breath for the course of 10 minutes or so. And whenever your attention wavers from your breath, you gently bring it back and you focus on your breath again. And every time you bring your attention back, that's all meditation is. It's constantly bringing your attention back to one singular object. You know, don't be hard on yourself when you're bringing your attention back to your breath, but just say, you know, I noticed my mind wandering. I'm going to focus, refocus on my breath now. But every time you do that, you essentially do one repetition of your attention muscle, which you slowly build over time. And, you know, that allows you to be just insanely more productive. It was kind of hard for me to rectify the connection between meditation and productivity at first, because I practice a lot of parts of Buddhism. I'm pretty into it quite a a bit of the time. And so I had this kind of disconnect towards the start of the year of productivity, where Buddhism and meditation were on one side and productivity was on the other side because, you know, I saw productivity as doing more and more and more, faster, faster, faster. And I saw meditation as doing as little as possible, as slow as possible. (laughs) But, you know, I think the perfectly productive state is somewhere in the middle where you can kind of see the intention behind your actions, where you can slow down and, you know, think intelligently and work on smarter tasks instead of just working harder and where you can bring more of your attention and your focus to whatever you happen to be working on in the moment. There's these incredible connections between practices like mindful eating and, you know, mindfully washing the dishes or meditating and becoming more productive. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree that some of the, the best times or best ideas that I've had or just disconnecting from feeling always on or always connected is, yeah. you know, go out and take a walk and don't have headphones and don't have your phone on you even and yeah. and just walk. You You'll don't have to capture anxious everything. at first. Yeah. yeah. Well, bring a notepad, you know, why not? Just leave your phone at home and bring a notepad with you and a pen and Go for go for a half hour walk. It, I guarantee you, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, if you do this exercise, you will fill up that notepad because you don't give your mind the time to kind of wander and think about these ideas that you have. You'll you'll approach your work more intelligently. Um, you'll work smarter and not just harder, and you'll probably come up with some creative ideas too if you observe your mind, observe your mind thinking. You know, it sounds kind of hippy dippy, but if you just let your mind wander and capture whatever bubbles up, you'll be blown away by what you capture, even if you just do it for 15 minutes. So is, is that what you would prescribe if somebody is is still listening after we said the word meditation and they, <laughs> they, they think, oh, wait, maybe, you know, now that – especially because it's something where it's not just sitting. You could do it while you're walking or doing chores or even eating. If somebody had an aversion to meditation, where would you kind of send them first to try it out and see, you know, dip their toe in the water and realize, oh, you know what? That little test there proved to me that I should probably dip myself deeper into that water. I think a cool place to start is, and this sounds kind of like a freaky task, but so actually maybe, maybe it's not, I don't know, But, (laughs) but just sit in a room, shut everything off. And turn the lights off and just sit there with a a notepad and a pen and maybe set a timer for 10 or 15 minutes and just trust me on this and capture whatever bubbles up. Capture things that you're waiting for that you need to capture. Capture things that you have to do. Capture ideas that you have. Capture 
people that you need to contact that you haven't contacted in a while. Capture anything that bubbles up. And I do this occasionally. And, you know, when I first heard this idea, like most ideas, I have kind of an aversion to before I actually experiment with it. But I did this and I filled up four or five pages of just things that were in my head that were bouncing around that were just waiting to come up but hadn't had the chance to because I had been so, I don't know, stuck isn't the right word, but just so engrossed in what I was doing on a daily basis and just bouncing around between distractions that I didn't have the chance to actually step back and actually collect ideas or collect different thoughts that I had that were just kind of screaming to <laughs> to be captured somewhere, but that I didn't dedicate the attention to. So that, that's kind of a good starting point. A cool kind of way to when you're starting out meditating, a lot of people say, I'm going to meditate for half an hour every day for the rest of my life. And it's like, no, like, because there's going to come a day where you don't have a half hour and then you're going to stop meditating forever. But what I like to do, and this, this is a, a little tip from my buddy John, is shrink the length of a meditation session until you no longer feel resistance to it. If you're first starting out with meditating, if you kind of, you know, if you want to pay attention to your breath for, whatever minutes, X minutes, you can kind of be honest with yourself and say, do I feel like doing half an hour today? No, no, no. I feel a lot of mental resistance to doing half an hour. Okay, what about 20 minutes? You know, 20 minutes sounds a bit better, but I still feel a lot of mental resistance to it. Okay, what about 15 minutes? You know, that's getting better, but I still feel a lot of resistance to it. Okay, what about 10 minutes? And you kind of barter with yourself and you say, you know, 10 minutes, uh, I could probably do 10 minutes today. Then you sit for 10 minutes. Again, this goes back to the intention Taking time to form that intention behind your actions will make you a lot more productive. So if you do this technique for working out, for example, if you aim to work out for an hour every single day, one of these days you're going to – that routine, that habit, that ritual is just going to fall apart and you're going to stop doing this. People run into this trap all the time. But if you kind of shrink the length of how long you'll work out for until you no longer feel resistance to that time, you'll actually work out for that long. And usually if you say, you know, I could work out for 15 minutes, I'll work out for 15 minutes, um, you end up working for 30 minutes or working out for 45 minutes because you just simply got started. And so that, that's how I'd recommend people start. Again, I go off on tangents and you know, I started talking about meditation, then I ended up with working out. And that's probably why I need meditation in the first place, to be honest. It, it just goes to show that, you know, self-honesty is key in becoming more productive. And so it's just taking time to step back and see what you actually intend to do in the first place and taking the time just to be honest with yourself and form, you know, those intentions too. I think that's a little bit tied into, you know, the being self-honest as well as being intentional both of those things kind of tie into at least what I believe is why we procrastinate because if we're not honest about what it is we're wanting to do or need to do, then any old activity, whether it's something that we should or shouldn't be doing, can sub be substituted and feel like we've accomplished something and yet we know deep down inside that we're not working on the thing we really should be or we really want to be. Yeah, yeah, I totally know what you mean. You know, there, there's so many times where, you know, there's kind of a substitute for an action, like where we're not honest with ourselves. Like when you try to wake up and you hit snooze five times every morning instead of setting an alarm for when you'll actually get up or when you ignore your body when it says that it's full or when you ignore your mind when it says that it's overworked or when you spend hours in front of the TV and then just try to forget about where your time went when you watch 10 episodes of House of Cards with a bucket of Ben and Jerry's or like when you don't make your to-do list doable and you just keep putting things off for another day or you have that one task that you've you know moved to tomorrow's to-do list 20 days in a row. There's some interesting science actually with procrastination. I interview, I had the opportunity to interview a procrastination researcher a few months back. His name is Tim Pitchell. He's published a book or two on procrastination. And his studies show that there are, I think, seven attributes that a task has that makes you more likely to procrastinate with it, that contributes to how aversive a task is that makes you more likely to procrastinate with it. And those are whether a task is boring, whether or not it's frustrating, whether or not it's difficult, whether or not it lacks personal meaning, whether it lacks intrinsic rewards, and whether it's ambiguous and whether it's unstructured. And so the more of these attributes that a task has, the more likely you are to put it off for another day. 
And, you know, it's fascinating when you kind of see the the theory behind procrastination, because when you look at when you procrastinate with something, you can kind of take that step back again, intention. <laughs> you can kind of observe which of these attributes the task has and then think about, OK, maybe doing the taxes, maybe I'm procrastinating with doing the taxes because it's boring, because it's frustrating, because it's difficult, because it's not meaningful, because it is ambiguous and unstructured. That's why so many people procrastinate with doing their taxes and put it off to the last minute because it has so many of these attributes. And so it, it's kind of a cool trigger whenever you notice yourself procrastinating with something to look at the actual attributes that a task has. And then maybe do something like flipping those characteristics. If you notice yourself procrastinating with doing your taxes because it's ambiguous and unstructured, maybe you can sit down and instead of just trying to jump in and doing that ambiguous task, you can make a list of, you know, okay, these are the 15 steps that I need to do in order to move this project forward. And then you simply work your way down that list and refine that list as you go on. That'll make you more less likely to procrastinate with it. Just flipping these characteristics, it, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of way to see things. I'm fascinated by that. I love the idea of flipping it and, and even analyzing, okay, well, how do I make this unambiguous? Or how do yeah. I structure this that it's, you know, and by chipping away at those I guess, seven pillars of procrastination, you don't give it a leg to stand on to where suddenly it's like, well, it's just one or two. So well, it, that, that's why I just do it. Sy- yeah, exactly. That's why systems like uh, David Allen's getting things done system are so powerful because they add clarity to these tasks that you're more likely that have these attributes, these projects and tasks that are stuck because they're ambiguous, because they're unstructured, because they're frustrating or difficult. You know, that's that's where a lot of the power of these systems come in. They come in and they act like a superhero and flip all these characteristics. But you can do this on kind of a, you know, to use the trendy word, granular level and do this for uh, individual tasks as well. Just flip these characteristics. Another kind of cool tactic that I love that everybody seems to connect with is shrink the amount of time that you'll do something for. And I talked about shrinking time before. Um, okay, before so I hold on. You mean yeah. spend less time on something instead of the ever-present excuse of, I need more time. I don't ever <laughs> have enough time. Oh, I need more time is like such – you know how you know if something's important? is if you've done it already. And that's, you know, I think you've had Merlin Mann on the show. He talks about that quite a bit. You know how you tell if something's important? Look at all the things you've done. That's what's important to you. (laughs) That's one one of the most powerful ways I think somebody can get something done is limit how much time you spend on something. And so let's say, I don't know, what's an aversive task? Let's say you're working on a book proposal like I am right now. It's very aversive. Yeah, I'm lucky to be able to work on the book proposal with a cool agent, but it's very aversive at the same time. So what I do is I limit how much time I spend on that thing. So instead of, instead of throwing an entire day at my book proposal, I'll simply say, okay, I'm going to dedicate two hours today to work on my book proposal. And I'll get a bit anxious because that's a lot. Two hours is less than eight hours the last time I checked. In fact, it's, it's, it's exactly 25% of eight hours if you want to do the math. But when I limit how much time or when anybody limits how much time they spend on something, what you actually do is you force yourself to exert more energy over a shorter distance of time so you can get that thing done more efficiently and faster and dive into it deeper. It's that whole time, energy, and attention thing. Those are the three ingredients you combine on a daily basis. And this is a way to shrink the amount of time that you have to do something over, but expend more energy to get that thing done more efficiently. And, you know, this has the added benefit, especially if you're procrastinating with something, it makes it more fun, less boring. It makes it more structured, makes it less frustrating and less difficult because you always have this end in sight. You you can always say to yourself, you know, instead of saying, oh, I have this eight hour day of hell in (laughs) front of me where I have to do this book proposal, you say like, oh, crap, I only have two hours to do this book proposal. I better get on it. And I think that even a consistency of maybe doing a half hour a day over the course of like two weeks or something, you'd still probably have the same amount of input or output 
One of the experiments that I did is, you know, I think I mentioned it at the top of the show, is working 90-hour weeks for a month, where I alternated between working 90 hours one week, then 20 hours the next, then 90, then 20. Because if I did 90 hours for the entire month, I'd probably, I wouldn't be here right now to talk to you. But when I threw less time at my problems, less time at my tasks that I had to do over the course of the day, with those 20-hour weeks, I really did expend more energy over that shorter distance of time. I procrastinated less. I had less time to work on low-leverage activities, like going on my smartphone. Good call back there. Thank you. Nice. Um, (laughs) So I used that time wisely. Instead of just throwing more time at something like blah, and then just keep putting it off. Um, time is a terrible thing to waste. It, it's it's the most limited out of those three wor- resources, out of your time, your energy, and your attention. You can get more energy, and you can learn to manage your attention better, but you can't get more time. And so you have to use the time that you have wisely in order to become more productive. And so that's why managing your energy is so important. That's what I learned during that experiment. So then you alternated, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. 90 hours one week and 20 the next the 90, then 20. Because I know there's only 168, is that right? 168 hours in the week. I don't, I don't know. Again, we're trying to guess at math, but it's a lot. <laughs> it, it, math, is, math is usually not a good idea to do on a podcast. Yeah. If typically, <laughs> let, let's put it this way. If, if typically an eight-hour workday in, in the traditional sense is Monday through Friday, and that's eight hours times five is 40, then you've done more than double. You've done... Two yeah. work weeks in one yeah, and more. I, I, I spread it out over seven days. And so I worked about 13 hours yeah. each day. Yeah. So it's like an extra five hours for seven yeah. days. And, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, and again, the math. So whatever. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but math is hard. But, but did you yeah. feel, okay. So did you feel like with the tasks at hand that you had selected for those 90 hours that you were getting them done and then moving on and getting, were you getting more done during that time? No, I got it about as much done during each of the weeks. So the tasks were expanding to the hours you designated for them. Yeah, it's uh, I forget the name. I think it's Parkinson's Law, where the tasks that you have expand to fit the amount of time that you have available for them. Yeah, That's exactly what you just said. I think the name is Parkinson's okay. Law. And, and I definitely experienced that during this, during this experiment. But, you know, one of the main things that I realized is just, you know, Throwing more time at your problems is problem. Why do I keep using this word? Do you maybe need to subconsciously share something? I don't. Anyway. Maybe we maybe we need to talk after. Okay. To be honest, no. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've just had too much green tea. It's a. Yes. Uh, it's uh What is it? It's Earl Grey Green. It's like a combination of Earl Grey and green tea. It's uh, available at the tea store in Ottawa. If you're in Ottawa, it's, in, it's incredible. But uh, that's th- one of the biggest productivity mistakes that people make is, again, back to this time, energy, and attention model. You know, they throw more time at their tasks and problems um, instead of throwing more energy and attention at them. And that's exactly what I did during this experiment. I threw more time at what I had to do. And as a consequence of that, um, you know, working longer hours will make you more productive, but only in the short run. In the long run, it pushes you to procrastinate more. It, it pushes you to work less efficiently. It causes you to get less done, usually without you realizing it, in my opinion. And again, this, these, these are lessons that I learned through my lens with productivity. And this experiment was especially controversial because I heard from a lot of people who said, no, I work 80 or 90 hours every week and I get a ton done. But, you know, if that's the case, you're probably a lot less productive than you think you yeah, are. I was um, say, but they, they could probably still get that same amount done, even if they cut back to like 60 hours. They'd still yeah. be able to push it and, and get it done. Yeah, oh, exactly. And, you know, chances are they're probably busy for the whole time. But, you know, if you check your email 40 times a day, <laughs> they're quote, busy. They're, they're air quote busy. Yeah, but they're not productive. <laughs> and, so. you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, just because you feel productive, it doesn't mean you're actually productive. And so when you multitask, for example, you feel more productive than when you just work on one thing at a time. But studies show time after time after time again that you're not more productive when you're multitask. You're less productive when you multitask because you can really only work on one thing at a time. You know, when you drink caffeine, you feel more productive because your mind is more stimulated, but your body adapts to how much caffeine you consume and 
caffeine can actually make you less productive with creative tasks. You know, you feel more productive when you check your email 10 times every hour instead of writing a report because you receive more feedback from what you're working on. Mm. You're more stimulated. But chances are most people, unless you work as maybe a customer service representative, you're probably not paid to check your email. You're paid to produce you know, these very specific and measurable results for whoever you work for, so even, even if you work for yourself, especially if you work for yourself. And the same is true for when you work long hours. You, know, you feel more productive. And oftentimes, you know, where that comes from is you feel a lot guilty about the mountain of work that you have to accomplish in front of you. And so you'd compromise your productivity by being busy instead of by being productive because of that guilt. But even working long hours might make you feel that way, but you're probably not investing your time, your energy, and your attention into the smartest tasks. Well said. What experiments are you currently doing and what's got you excited or where's your your brain traveling to these days in terms of what you're interested in with productivity? Interestingly, I, I did this year of productivity and w- when when it kind of finished up, because I have no ads, I have no sponsorships on the website. And, you know, as a consequence of that, I needed to make money after I finished up the, <laughs> the project. And so right now I'm doing a lot of coaching, <clears throat> you know, working one on one with folks to help them out. I'm doing a lot of speaking right now, too. And so I don't have as much time for writing and experiments. I want to change that. I'm hoping that as soon as enough money comes my way through through co- through coaching and speaking and stuff like that, that I'll be able to focus more on my writing. But I, I have a few that are kind of in the works. Like I want to try being totally silent for an entire month and not say a single word. I find that crazy ideas like that, that don't seem to be intricately connected with productivity, sometimes end up teaching me the most because I approach product to the idea of productivity through a way that nobody has really approached it before. You know, people people have tried experiments with their work and written about it extensively, but you know, those crazy ideas, like one of the experiments that I did was watching 296 TED Talks over the course of seven days. And, you know, people ask, oh, you know, what does that have to do with productivity? And to be honest, at the very beginning, I didn't quite know. <laughs> but, you know, throughout the course of that experiment, I learned a ton about how to manage information retention and how na- things like naps and taking breaks and meditation impacted my information retention and my focus and my ability to do work uh, for a long period of time at once. Uh, so, you know, it's it's crazy experiment ideas like that that I'm that are kind of on the top of my mind. Again, I, I wish I had more time <laughs> for it right now, but I'm sure once the you know once the once the book is out, once once I get some of these things out of the pipeline that that I'm going to dive in as as deep as I can again. Awesome. Yeah, I'm look I'm really looking forward to it and and again, if you've enjoyed this episode, then tell them where to go. They need to to follow along on your blog. I'm subscribed. Subscribe to your newsletter even. Cool, man. Yeah. When you visit my website, one of those annoying newsletter things pop up, but I only shoot you off an email every time I publish an article. Um, so yeah, sign up for that if you want. If you don't like newsletters, you know, I'm also on Twitter. I'm uh, ALO Productivity at on Twitter. I have a personal handle on Twitter, but you probably don't want to follow me on there because I tweet a lot about Buddhism and stuff like that. But if for some reason that's what you're into, well, you had some um, pretty humorous stuff you tweeted too. So really, yeah. like what? Like <laughs> oh gosh, you're gonna make me look it up, but yeah. <laughs> I know that I was like, oh, you know what? I, I'm going to follow you, and I did. And I'm trying <laughs> to right. think of what it, what, uh, what it was. So, but. so maybe maybe you might be into that. My personal Twitter handle is at Wiggle Chicken. Uh, <laughs> That's <at> Wiggle right. Chicken. <laughs> okay, explain, explain. Come on, what what is a Wiggle Chicken? Uh, I have no idea. Okay, fair enough. No idea. I, I'm sorry. I said you know there were they were two words that sounded kind of funny together. <laughs> And that's that's where we are. That's great. Well, <laughs> but I, and tweet so, out, I tweet out like, uh, yeah, just random stuff. You can follow me if you want. You I, don't have to. I, I do. Don't. I do. I, I do because I care. Um, Thanks, brother. Thank you. Um, no, A-L-O, 
productivity, the Twitter yeah. account, that stands for a life of productivity. Yeah. So that's that's my new project because when I finished up a year of productivity, I didn't really want to stop. You know, I had I have so many ideas, and as you can probably tell, I'm kind of opinionated. So I, I like to kind of get my ideas out there. And when I realized, you know, there were, there were all these people that were following my work along on on a year of productivity, I didn't really want to stop when it was finished. So I launched a life of productivity um, at a life of productivity.com where I'm posting brand new articles. But there's this incredible, you know, every single article, all the 200 articles that I wrote over the course of my year of productivity is at a year of productivity.com. And they're all there. They're all free. You don't have to sign up or anything. There's no yeah. ads. There's no sponsorships. You know, my, my goal, my goal with this project was just to experiment the hell out of the topic that I'm most passionate about. And, you know, it might sound corny. It might, you know, but I don't really care. Like this is, this is what I'm interested in. And, you know, I kind of shared it with as many people as I could, uh, through a year of productivity. So it's up there too. So in summary, awesome. a year of productivity.com, a life of productivity.com at a L O productivity. And if you want at w- wiggle chicken, <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, Chris, it's been it's been fun, and uh, it's been a slice. Now we need to go meditate. So yeah, let's all meditate together. All right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, Thanks I'm, for I'm leaving. I'm leaving the silence in so that people get the okay. hint that they should. Okay. Leave, leave like a thirty minute silence in at the end of the episode. <laughs> at the end of the episode. Here's then, your. Do <laughs> you think people will get the hint then? <laughs> I'm. A, I think I might. I'll, I'll leave like five minutes. <laughs> no, Actually, no, no, here here you go. Here's homework. When the episode ends, there will be a five-minute chunk of silence. Okay. And that's where you practice sitting and doing the, the thing. I can do like a, a guided meditation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, anyway. I don't want to scare too many people out. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> all right, Chris, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I loved talking with Chris. Make sure to go check out Chris's site at A Year of Productivity and A Life of Productivity and follow him on Twitter and all that. And again, I want to say thank you to MailChimp for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Make sure to go check out MailChimp at beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd go leave a review in iTunes. You can go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes and just leave a review. You know what it's worth. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews. So you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.